Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. How's it going? All right, look, before I get into anything, I just need I need to do some self-promoting. My new special, my stand-up special on Netflix, Too Real, that's what it's called, premieres tomorrow, September 5th, on Netflix. You can go add it to your queue right now so you can stream it as soon as it's available. I'm very proud of this. It looks good. It's tight. Uh, it, it really is a, a good-looking special. Lynn Shelton did an amazing job with the uh, direction. And uh, all the people want to thank the people of Minneapolis again. But uh, proud of it. So, yeah, tomorrow, Too Real, my new Netflix special, will be uh, available. Dig it. Did I mention today on the show I have a uh, comedy writer and, and comedian? He was more of a comedian back when I knew him. Now he's more of a comedy writer, Warren Hutcherson, who I started with, who I've been wanting to talk to for a while because he, he was really a, a funny guy. And I just hadn't, we had not talked in like probably 10, 15 years, 20 years. What's happening? Is it hot? Is it hot where you are? Is it hot and horrible? It's hot as fuck here. But it's weird in these end times to uh, sometimes take a minute to just appreciate the relentlessness of the fucking weather. I, I'm a little weird. I enjoy a bit of desert heat sometimes, uh, though it's a little bit much here. Uh, we're not quite in the desert, but L.A. is kind of a desert. But I, I kind of like it, man. I kind of like... 104 degree temperatures because given that i don't do any drugs and i don't uh, partake there's something about that that feeling of being baked you walk outside and you're like immediately dehydrated and everything slows down you can feel your heart slowing down sweat doesn't even have time to build up before it evaporates and it's kind of, uh, it's a bit mind-altering. I don't know if anyone else feels the same way. A lot of people here, they complain about the heat constantly. It does get hot here during the uh, during the summer months. I guess it has been a little relentless weather-wise. I guess really what I'm doing is kind of rationalizing the fact that every fucking day seems like either the beginning or the middle or maybe close to the end of the world ending. That's the way my brain puts it all together. Why not connect the dots? There's no reason not to connect the dots. You can connect the global warming dots. You can connect the uh, 
the nuclear Armageddon dots. You can connect the uh, biblical end time dots. It's great that this president facilitates this portal to connect all the end time dots every day. Out here, the L.A. is partially on fire. That's the other thing. The fires are here. Uh, they're, they're, I, I'm not even sure how close they are to my house. They're kind of close, but I don't, there are people here in L.A. literally just going on their roofs to watch the, watch the city burn. They're watching it burn. I don't know if we're going to have to evacuate. I think it's still far off uh, from here. I don't think, uh, I, I don't know at this point how many homes have been swallowed by flames, but it's fire season in L.A., and uh, that's just something we've grown to accept. It's hot, and it's fire season. But uh, that's the positive spin. The other spin is, is like, oh, this is it. The facilitator has arrived. Satan's minion has come and the evangelicals are working with him. It's time to follow the instructions of the last book. Here it comes. We just need to clear that temple mount and get that ready for the rearrival of the great one. And he will lift us all up right in time for the brush fires to just, just totally engulf Marin's house. That's 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 actually in Revelations. We will be lifted off just in time for the brush fire to engulf Marin's house. Maybe I'm personalizing it. I don't know. Maybe I got to look at it again. I haven't I haven't checked in with the cryptic poetry of the uh, the final chapter of the uh, the instruction book for how to get to heaven. But perhaps I shall. Maybe I'm not mentioned. I, you know, I'm not trying to be morose, people. I'm not trying to be depressed. I'm trying to have a good time. I'm trying to sort of like not to, not get hung up on dark futures or or lack of or lack thereof, and try to be in the present and enjoy myself. And oh, I know what you're wondering. I know what you're asking yourself, Mark. How's it going without the nicotine? Did you fucking go back? Did you go back to it? Did you give in to the charm of the need and darkness and perverse malignant desire that is compulsive addiction? Did you give in to it? Nope. Nope, I did not. I have not, I did not. I'm still a little itchy, got the soul itch, got the skin skeeves, but uh, not too bad, not too bad. It's more of a mental thing now. I guess it's been, what has it been, about a week, a solid week and a day, maybe a week and a day. The physical um, need for caffeine and nicotine has passed, and I'm feeling better. My guts are working better. My brain feels better. Um, my energy is better, if you call mania having more energy. Um yeah, so right now I'm just kind of focusing on rebuilding my uh, gut bugs. That's my new project. I'm doing a gut bug project. It's just that when you eat the nicotine, you drink all that caffeine. Caffeine's a diuretic. It also is a uh, pooperetic. And uh, the nicotine lozenges are made with one of the tols, the mannitols or the sorbitols. as a laxative effect to, to some degree. So your guts are kind of fucked up from both of those things. So I've been probioticing uh, by eating uh, kimchi, and uh, various krauts with the occasional uh, probiotic shot of 450 billion acidophilus uh, monsters. But then like now I'm kind of got this brain thing going on about my guts that uh, Amanda, the lady who trains me, she told me that there's a, pre-bi- a prebiotic. So now like after I got off the nicotine, I just dumped a bunch of those... Uh, those good probiotic uh, bacterial monsters into my guts, 
because that's supposed to be healthy. But apparently they need to be fed. And what they like to be fed is um, uh, cooked yams that aren't hot and jicama and some asparagus. So I've been focusing on feeding the new bugs in my intestines the stuff they like. And uh, that's, that's, that's how I'm, I'm occupying my time post-nicotine. Uh, Just concerned about the kind of living environment of my insides. That's the new project. My gut bugs feel good. And apparently if you got your gut bugs in check, the rest of it falls into place. That's the theory. That's the theory. I don't know. Warren Hutcherson is here. We talked for a bit. I Like I said, I haven't seen him in a long time. He used to have this great jokes about his dad and about uh, being black and about things. I, I just, I hadn't seen, I always had a lot of respect from his comic and I know he went on to write, the, uh, be on the writing staff of the Bernie Mac show and other stuff. And I don't know, things just came around and we were able to make it happen. Uh, you know, I talked to his, his, I think his wife reached out to me and I emailed her and then she contacted him. Yeah. I mean, in the house, I mean, I think just down the hall, but not, nonetheless, let's talk to Warren Hutcherson now, uh, about sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called the Foxed page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Stuff. So, Warren, like, I don't think I've seen you in a decade. Is that possible? Or I think it's my, maybe two more? decades. When you is think really, about it. Maybe we ran into each other old. here there quick. You Maybe. know, like once or twice. Right. But, uh, you know, back in the day, I see you all the time. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. I've known you a long time. Always liked you. Always liked your stand-up. And, you know, and uh, I remember at some point you were one of the first guys that I realized, like, well, I guess he's uh, he's just writing now. Yeah. Like, there was like, you know, like... <laughs> Like, you know, you I used to love the bits, and then all of a sudden it's like, Warren got a job writing. And I'm like, oh, is that something we can do? Because I don't want to do that. <laughs> don't blame you. I know it. You know what? Because, and I think this is the thing that you, you realize either you are committing the slowest suicide in the world. Yeah. Or uh, you found the other way. You found, you found You found, like, you know what? I was working too hard at something else, and uh, and and now uh, I got this. But I know now, and part of me even yeah. being here, part part of me when I said, you I know, think I it's a, a practical afraid. decision. I'm not condescending it at all. No, it it, it it's. But that's the thing. That's the slow suicide of it. Right. Once you decide, I think this. You know, yeah. My philosophy. Right. Once you decide to do stand up, and once you do it, and then you become. 
like good at it and you start thinking i think i can define myself as yeah, a stand-up right uh then you you sort of slide into the writing there's a new definite you you got to sit down and go okay there's a new definition now now not that you can't for be, myself for myself uh-huh. not that you can't be a stand-up and a writer right but uh, to be just a writer now, which is a lot of stand-ups. You go, oh, what are you doing? And they're like, well, you know, I'm writing this, I'm writing that. And then the stage thing is gone. But as you get older, and even as, you know, before you get older, I mean, there's fewer and fewer stand-ups that are going to be like, ah, you pussy. Well, you know what I mean? Like, it, unless you have that guy inside of you. Yeah, well, that guy is definitely <laughs> inside of me, and 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 the, the pussy is, is a... Uh, Nothing is is a is a charitable way, you know. The things, <laughs> the things that I hear from that guy, <laughs> I would love it. I'm like, can you can you just stay in pussy? Can I? Can you? You are really he's creative. Huh? Can I just? Yeah. Well, he's creative. What is he's he's consistent? Because I'm I'm letting down everybody by not I mean? doing any uh, stand up or I'm a lot of tearing, things. I'm tearing. I'm destroying the race. Oh yeah, I'm destroying over, myself over by being a writer. I'm letting my family down. You know, it's just all <laughs> kinds of stuff. Uh, he's very active, huh? He's got a. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's on stage a lot. That guy. That guy in your head. Well, that's the thing. It's like when I was on stage, you could calm down and just go, yeah, you know. These people, whatever. He had a voice. Yeah, but now he's like, oh, it's just me in here. Oh, okay. You cool with it. This is what you want then, right? (laughs) You just want me to fuck with you because you ain't even going out and doing nothing. You know what I mean? That's a good question, though. Do you want it? Like, you know, when you have those kind of feelings about yourself and those kind of patterns in yourself. I was just talking about this to my brother the other day, uh, yesterday. Where it's sort of like, you know, you circle around, you end up in the same place emotionally, psychologically, right. you know, where you're beating the shit out of yourself. And at, after a certain point, you're like, well, some part of you is comfortable here. Right. Exactly. You, you know, it's it's not healthy. It's not good. It doesn't lead to a good place. But but something in you is used to it. But you're good here. Yeah. So what are you bitching about? Just shut up and be here. But that's it. The acceptance thing. And that's the thing. Right. It's like, you know, in your heart that acceptance is the right place to be. But then it's like, what am I accepting though? Yeah. yeah. Am I accepting the best of myself or have I given up? And yeah, that's so you just I mean. take it to another level. Like, yeah. you know, like, okay, I get it, but you know, it's still shitty. It's still yeah. shitty. <laughs> and it's like, well, I feel like, look, I'll, yeah. I'll say this. Maybe this is, is a comparison that's fair. Maybe it's not. I just did the thing. I'm, you know, I'm 54. I think we're both 54. I'm 53. 54 You're, September. I'm, and I'm 54 in October. But I'm the kind of person who just sits you're already 54. <laughs> <laughs> just, I'm just jumping yeah, ahead. Yeah, I'm 60, man. Uh, no, you're not. I'm, well, I'm 53, but it's, quite, yeah. it's coming if I'm lucky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, so, I'm 53, 54 in October. I just did my colonoscopy because, you know, you, yeah. you got to do that. I did it last year or two years ago. I did it. And, and so, first of all... I got the number, like, here's the deal. Like, my doctor's, uh, in my regular doctor's office, there's a guy who does it. Oh, really? You didn't have to go? No. I he, went to some some weird sort of, like, a place that doctors use. Well, to no, do that's, those. I'm sorry. Yeah, we went to a place. Oh, okay. But, I mean, like, to fi- I didn't have to go find a doctor who does it. Right, right, right. The doctor is right over there. He's yeah, just yeah. like, I yeah. said, I said to him, I'm actually 51. I said, I'm 51 yeah. now. And I know that at 50, I'm supposed to do that. Everybody says do this thing. And he goes, oh, yeah, you're 51, sure. Uh, You want me to recommend somebody? And I say, yeah, please. And he goes, there's this guy next door. Which immediately you go, (laughs) is that a real recommendation? Or are you just helping out your sweet mate? Right. And then then, 
like I said, I just did it. I yeah. just did it like three months ago. So oh, that means you, wait, you put it off. It took me, yeah, that long to get. Well, what was it? You didn't want to see the results. Or you didn't want to have something in your ass. Oh, okay. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't want. It was probably both. <laughs> yeah, but but it was more the results. And and then when I got the results, when he says, uh, you know, like I got the paper, and he says, yeah, you're good for another ten years. Right. Yeah. I said uh, immediately. I was like, ten years. Fuck that guy's gonna be retired. He's an old guy. Oh right, you're already, you're already gonna like, be. I'm already yeah. coming up in my brain with why ten years is a bad thing, right? As opposed to I'm clean for ten years. Yeah. So and I'm saying like in in what we were talking about, like I I don't know if I should go. Can you just be satisfied with what you where you are right now and yeah. not be so worried about ten years from now, or is it legitimate? You know, and I feel like in this case, it's it's a case by case basis. In this case, well, yeah, I mean that's a weird way to go with it. You, you know what I mean? Right. In the sense that, like, I I know people like that. I I'm very anxious in the moment, uh, but I think when they told me I had, you know, I didn't have eight to ten years, I could, I'm I'm good. Well, I thought, well, that's like that's. See, what I do is like, well, that's off the list. Let's uh, let's check out the liver. How's right, the you know right. which 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 of the other organs are going to go? Something else could happen. That's right. Like right. Uh, that that one's good for now. That that part of me is yeah. operating fine. But uh, let's do uh, let's do the prostate again. Let's <laughs> let's figure out what's up with that. Yeah, that was. Uh, I I might get into that, but something my I get more uh, arrogant about it because I feel like yeah, I, I hey man, my ass is clean. Yeah. Liver, prostate, they better be clean. Yeah, right. Because then I'm going to be like, that guy in my head will be like, what's up with you, prostate? Yeah. The ass is clean, but look at you. You got to grab onto some cancer, you stupid ass. You know. Thank you, Mr. Asshole. Right, right. Oh, I'm sorry. How far can I? You can go. I can say whatever. Yeah. All right. But you grew up with it, like, because I remember the the early bits and the defining bits and the fact that you're still thinking about this stuff, you know, without a release valve. Yeah. Is a uh, is must be a little hard to handle. I mean, that must be a, a, a source of some of your self criticism. That you, you know, at the beginning when you were doing jokes about your father and your grandmother and the unique sort of uh, set of circumstances that you grew up in ideologically, right? You, you know that you know at least you had that release valve. So now you're kind of festering. Well, yeah, no, I mean, yes, you're 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 right, and then there's it's deeper than that. Uh, what I realized is my release valve was um, of uh, some fake oration. <laughs> fake oration. Some fake. Some fakery. It was. I was. I was not being as honest as I could be. Well, I mean, you're doing comedy, you, you know, and, and you, you know, you kind of, you, you know, you could progress to that. Yeah, yeah, and I know, and I, and I think that's why uh, comedy became my thing. Um, and that's why, like I'm saying, I now I'm torn between comedy and history. Maybe I'm not torn. Maybe I'll figure out how to uh, weave it all together. Well, where did you grow up? I grew up in Baltimore. Right. I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. I'm sorry. Just for your listeners, I grew up in Baltimore City. Uh-huh. So anybody who goes, oh, I grew up in Baltimore, and then they say, yeah, Pikesville, Ricerstown, these are all little areas yeah. around Baltimore. No. Yeah. Baltimore City. And that means something. <laughs> it, totally, it totally means something. My point of reference is The Wire. Uh, that me, that's, The Wire is, for the most part, about um, the part of Baltimore City I grew up in. And like, how, how big was the family? 
my family was pretty big, I think. I'll put it like this. My mom had uh, three older brothers, and my dad had uh, three, well, surviving, he had three siblings. He had two older brothers and an older sister. Yeah. So both are, both were the babies of the family. Right. Um, but there were three siblings. And everybody was around? Everybody, nah, my my mom's oldest brother, Uncle Everett, was a crazy vet. He was he was Army Vietnam. Uh huh. He died in Vietnam. He did. Uh, yeah. It's weird to say died. He killed. He was yeah. killed in Vietnam. Yeah. You know, he 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 expired yeah. over there. Um, dude, and he was he was he as I remember. You know, I mean, you're dealing with the kids' memories. Right. But uh, I remember he was really a good uncle, and he was really nice and crazy, which is what you want sometimes from a good uncle. You got to know him be- between tours or before he went? Yeah, he'd come home between tours, and then, um, I mean, I'm sure I knew him before he went, but I was really right, little. You right, know I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but me and my cousin, his son, yeah. my cousin Everett, we both lived with my grandmother, my mom's, my maternal grandmother for yeah. a while. Uh-huh. Um, and so yeah, and and we lived in the room. I mean, it was a little. It was public housing, and there were only two bedrooms. Uh, and so, so at one point, I mean, we were all in the same room. And then it went. Then my grandmother, because this is who she is, and she just moved downstairs. It was like a little, it was a huge staircase. She just basically made the couch that was her room. And the you living and room was and you and your cousin lived upstairs? Me and my cousin lived in one room and then the other room was like when my uncle Everett came home and sometimes uh uh Uncle Richard and Uncle Uncle William. And where was your mom? Where was she she was gone. They my mother and my grandmother had a really contentious relationship. Yeah. My mother had a contentious relationship with a lot of people, but my mother is a very loving person but and and there's so much about her that i'm i know there's so much about me that she's responsible she's for. still around yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> um <laughs> that's good <laughs> but she's she the thing i guess that, that that really kills me is like she and my when she talks about her mother yeah. my grandmother they're so alike there's yeah. they're so the same person that I hope, like someday before she expires, she sees that. Oh, she, she sees that right. she's. You are the daughter of this woman who was fighting the things that you were fighting, except she was fighting them twenty years. You know, she was yeah. fighting them before you. Yeah, um, it's weird that blindsiding people. You know, like the 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 parent you fight the most is probably the one you're the most They're like. Totally like that. Yeah, and I seen that. Oh, I see it with my friends. Yeah, I see it yeah, all me the too. Time. Yeah, and my yeah, my mom because my mom talks about like sometimes when she there's like four or five like consistent stories that my mother tells. Yeah, and one of them is about when she got put out. Like her mom just said, "Get out! I don't want you here. Get out of the house." Um, and she said, and I just I was outside and I was at court and I was crying and I yeah. was begging. I was just begging her, please let me back in, please. You know, and she said no. It's like, like, and one thing was because I used to live with her. Like it was clear. My grandmother had a line. She was an iron rod. Like this is it. Yeah. I I have declared. I've made the statement, and that's it. It's not changing. Right. Um, and so my mother 
was like, you know, she talks about how, like, how uh, terrible she felt and how humbled she felt and abandoned. And she was. I mean, right. you know, your mother says, get out of my house. I don't care where you go. I don't what care was what the happens re- What to was you. the reason? I'm not, it, there's never been a very clear, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, when you yeah, tell yeah. that story, it's never uh, yeah. like, oh, and this is because I had done this, which means to me, when, you know, people tell stories, you yeah. go, so you did something. Yeah, right, some right. Something that even now you go. Eh, That's the missing part. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, some, somehow this was your fault. You're right. Um, but. Uh, you had it coming. Yeah. Well, nah, yeah. That, that part I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. Right. But you should have known. Right. Uh, yeah, you you, sh- yeah, you yeah. knew you were dealing with. Right. Yeah. And, and so this happened. Now, at the same time, when I was, um, I think, seven certainly after school yeah and my mother had this whole idea of how i was going to live my life and be this different after high school person after high school and after like i i joined the marines and uh and then she was like that's not happening because uh, <laughs> i was 17 yeah when i graduated and so you know you got to get a parent you got you yeah. can you can you go and the recruiter's like okay sure just take this home and get your mom to sign it and she's like that ain't happening i've seen you know and part of it was like i've seen what they did to my brother yeah both my my oldest uncle Everett died in vietnam yeah uncle Everett was army uncle william was marines right and the marines were so impressed with him and it was the 60s and there was a whole need for negro officers uh-huh that they sent him uh to annapolis they were like, you know what? We want you to become an officer. To the we, academy? We're okay with you yeah. as an officer. Yeah. yeah. So they send him to the academy, and then he goes back as a captain. Uh, but like, kind of around the time the war's over, so then the war's over. And so like, I grew up around him, and I had a real... I admired him a lot. You yeah. Know? There's a lot of stuff about him that I didn't like that much, but uh, I had a real admiration for him as a man. You know, and this is the thing. You grow up... And that was why I was, I think this started with you talking about my act and my dad. A lot of my uh, talk of my dad, my dad is an amalgamation of a lot of stuff. Uh huh. Um, is he a real person? My dad is a real person. The, the things that my dad did that, that truly influenced me uh, are things that do, that I still kind of work with on a, uh, in a quieter basis because you know the dad I talked about on stage is very much in your face and loud that's that voice in my head that I kind of give him credit for but uh, I think my dad was uh, wanted to be a lot of things like I think I think that my dad if you were around would be emotional sorry it's weird. That was a weird thing. I was going to say, I think he would be proud of me. And I don't, I never really thought of that. Because I think that what I did, what I was doing when I was doing stand-up, yeah. I think he would have really been like somebody to brag about that. And he wasn't around already? No, my dad died. My, my dad's story in my world yeah. is, is pure comedy. Some of it horribly funny. I think comedy <laughs> my dad no this uh, can i tell you a few yeah, things about my sure, dad yeah. on, on the wtf yeah. podcast the f being father yeah uh, um, i remember early on like my my mom used to date this guy 
uh, Clinton. Yeah. And this guy taught me how to play chess. Right. All right. And I didn't like this guy. <laughs> but at the time, I didn't like him. Yeah. Um, how old were you? Around nine or ten. Yeah. The deal was Clinton taught me to play chess. Yeah. And one day my dad said he saw that was there was a chess board at that house. Yeah. And he uh, said, oh, I don't know. You know how to play. And I said, yeah, sure. So he said, let's play. So we started to play a game of chess. And he's awful. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, like, I was like, hmm, all right. Well, yeah. that's the move you're going to make. But then it got to a point, uh, I, I think like a few moves in that I thought, I don't want to. I don't want to beat him. I don't. I don't want to beat my dad. I don't, right. I don't want to do this. Yeah. So I just stopped. I was like, I was like, oh, okay. And I started making like stupid moves. Right. And then, uh, and then he won. And he was like, yeah. He said, well, you know, I can help you out. Like, yeah. Teach you a few things. And I said, yeah, yeah, okay. So that was the dynamic. That was kind of the thing. Like it was like I'm protecting him, and he's, but he's a good guy. Like so, this is the thing. Like later on. Once my dad came to me, this stuck with me for years. He came to me, he said, you got $2. And I did. Yeah. He said, I need $2. He said, I just need $2. Yeah. I got, I got, I got this 50, but I don't need to be out here in these streets with this $50 bill. Right. But it, I could use a $2, two $1 bills. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the 50. You hold on to that. You give me the $2. Um, I'm going to be back in about an hour and a half. If I don't come back, if I'm not a man of my word, yeah. if I don't come back here in an hour and a half, you keep that $50 bill. Right. Because I, you, you got to be a man of your word. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good deal, right? <laughs> yeah. You know? So <laughs> I give him the $2. And I didn't even think about it, I guess, until like maybe 40, maybe an hour. Yeah. Like an hour into it. I'm looking out the window. I'm rubbing my hands together. Okay, yes. Yeah. I'm about to come up with fifty dollars. <laughs> yeah. And um, then he came back. He he came back within the time limit. Yeah. And uh, and he gave me my two dollars back, and I gave him his fifty dollars back. And but then for years I was like, Dad, my dad is so. There's a lot of integrity that was seems so on. My dad's an honest guy. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like. He gave me fifty bucks that I could have yeah. if he didn't stick to his word. Right. And I don't. I think I was probably in my mid forties before I thought, really, do you really think <laughs> that your dad <laughs> would have let you keep that fifty dollars? <laughs> right. Like if he'd have come back like two hours later and said, "Hey, man, listen, yeah, I tell you what, I'll do. I'll give you three dollars back. <laughs> yeah, but you're gonna yeah. give me my money. You know, right? But I don't really ever know. He yeah. might be. Because there's times with me, like I take a very hard line about, you know what? No, I said it was going to be this way. And so, but I think some of that is because I'm still clinging to that like childhood thing. Like that's, sure. that's what I always remembered yeah. about him. And so, you know, we catch up and we made some things. He started, I said, I got to start exercising. I'm scrawny. I used to be a real scrawny kid. I said, I'm, you know, I need to bulk up a little yeah. bit, you know. And so, uh, he would send me uh, exercises he's found, like, you know, and just stuff. Hey, man, you know, good to talk to you. Good to see you. Right. Like six months later, I get this call. He's in the VA. Sick. He's got cancer. He's uh, dying. Yeah. He's almost dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And 
It's like, what the fuck? That never came up. Never came he up. He knew? He must have known. It's yeah. like six months? Come yeah. on. Uh, and, you know, like, for me, thinking thinking back at it, it was like, because the call was so out of the blue. So now uh, it's like, oh, okay. So, like, he gets this diagnosis, and it's like, let me try to tie up some loose ends. I yeah. He's got this kid. Let me go talk to him. And so, um, you know, I was just like, what? <sighs> okay. And my, my uncle, his brother calls me and says, yeah, your daddy, you got to, you going to go see him? You know? Yeah. And I go, yeah, yeah. So I go to the VA. Um, and I was a little pissed, you know, because I'm like, what, what why? When did you, you could have talked about this, but I, you know, like, I'm in my head, I'm back and forth. Like, yeah. I guess he didn't know or yeah. why, why talk about this thing that's bothering him and he wants to know what what's up with me and I guess he wants to know that I'm going to continue my journey and be okay, you know, and I go and they let me in and it's intensive care. Yeah. So it's only a few people allowed in yeah, at the yeah. time and it's nurse lets me in and i go in and I, like i said i got all that in my head and i'm looking at this guy is being ravaged so i know he knew he had this yeah now it's like look at it it's so right thin and weird and i was like damn it's like i don't know what to say to you man i'm like and he's not conscious really you know i say i just i said i'm kind of mad but i don't want to be mad because i you know i i, I want you to know that i'm uh you know, and then the nurse taps me on my shoulder and says, "Piss me!" I said, "What?" She goes, "Hutcherson," and I go, "Yeah." She goes, that, that, "Over there." That, that. <laughs> Come on, I swear to God, the wrong guy. I was talking to the wrong. So then I go over here, but it's the same thing. When yeah. I go over to the bed that she pointed me to, same I'm still condition. like, right, he's not, he's out, of he's it. unconscious and I, and unrecognizable. It's right. Still like, right, uh, right, yeah, yeah. I was still like, okay. Yeah, I can't even work myself up to what, yeah, <laughs> to what happened yeah, over there. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just go. You had a dry know, run. You yeah, had a rehearsal. And then, but that rehearsal was it. That's all yeah. that was in me. I was like, you know, <laughs> I said, man, I, I don't know what to say to you. This yeah. is, I, I don't know if you can even hear me. And I'm looking at the, you know, there's the EKG heart thing, beep, yeah. The yeah. Beep, like, is there anything that's going to show that there's a, a a hint of recognition to the fact that I'm even here? And I'm like, no. I don't think so, you know. Yeah. And I kind of patted his hand and I said, well, I came by, you know, um, I'm going to come by again. And I left, you know, and I think like two days later, that same uncle called yeah. me up and we have issues. <laughs> I mean, we had issues. We're very cool now. Yeah. But he's, because this is what he does. He calls me up. You know, your daddy did now, right? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> No, <laughs> no, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just did. They just passed away. And I guess the he they the hospital had his number, right? You know right. I mean? Yeah. And so it had just happened, and he was like, "Yeah, well, that's uh, that's over." So the deal is, and where he his the dad on stage came from. So then I get this call. This call basically, they're like, "Well, you're 18 now. This is March, actually. I just turned 18 in October. So yeah. Now it's March, and uh." You're the executor of your dad's estate. You have to bury him. You have to take care of all of these things. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so, you know, I called my friends who all had dads except for one who I think didn't. Well, I mean, everybody obviously has a dad. But, right. You know, that didn't know his dad. Uh, and they were, you know, consoling, but they like, didn't really get it. Because then there was a whole thing of like, dude, you never talked about your dad before. <laughs> I go, yeah, it's like, so are you worried? Are you upset? I was like, yeah, yeah I guess. Yeah. I don't know. You know, when the one group I had like t- 
three friends who kind of took me out drinking. So we got like, and we had the worst shit. We had like Thunderbird, right, and Jack Daniels, and we kind of hung out and uh, it's at actually at a graveyard, which is ridiculous. And I drank. Uh, I basically drank all night, but yeah. felt nothing. Yeah, you know, like right. never. I didn't remember feeling drunk, and I totally remember. Like that night, and then the next day, because the next day I went to get my uncles, and I was driving around. Yeah, and they were like, "You were drinking last night," and I said, "Yeah, I was." And they were like, you, "Why do you think that? You're pretty steady." Yeah, hey, I mean, I guess on some emotional, I was trying to anesthetize that feeling that I did. Like, I don't even know what this feeling is, but it's wrong. You know, yeah, it wasn't grief. Good. It was it just sort of like it didn't have an effect that you thought it should. Yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. I remember years ago I went to see a guy who talked about Vietnam. Yeah. He thought he was uh uh he said that he worked in the uh he sorted body parts. Right. Said said this is where I worked in like whatever the field hospital where I had to identify this body part goes with this and he said uh he said I drink two pints of Jack Daniels every day. Every day. He said yeah. I just drank that to get through it. He said and I can't there's nobody that can tell you that they ever saw me drunk. It was like just that is what I needed to deal with what I was doing. Right. And I think that that drinking on that night was what I needed sure. just to deal with this thing. Like all these, we're never going to have a discussion. Right. We're never, there's a right. million things that that are never going to happen. Right. Um, for me and right. my dad. Yeah. And, um, and I guess... I had always sort of stuffed that away because he existed and I knew where he was. Right. And it was like, well, at some point we'll have a relationship, but now that's not the case. Right. So, yeah, that was, that was, um, that's uh, ordeal. the extent. So yeah, when did yeah. you start doing comedy? I started doing comedy, uh, 22. I started writing comedy. What, what happened was I was in, um, this is another, I don't know, maybe it was my dad, maybe yeah. somebody. Basically, we didn't believe in loans. I don't believe in loans. So to go to college, you gotta you gotta work, yeah, or, or live on some saved money. Right, and so, uh, and I didn't even want to go. I was like, I don't see the point of this. I struggled for the last year of high school, not academically, but just like, what is this about? Um, but anyway, uh, I, at the community college of Baltimore, I met a guy who wanted to do comedy. He wanted to be partners. Yeah, I had no interest anymore in hard news, solid things. I was all about features. I was a feature writer for the college newspaper. So you'd be a reporter? Uh, no, I was actually in school for nursing. I mm -hmm. was going to be a nurse. And, and then what, did your mother put you out already? Yeah, she had. I was gone. I was out. I was out. Yeah. And was that a hostile yeah. thing? or was It was just... totally hostile. It was absolutely hostile. She was mad. I mean, What was she was, mad about? It was. She was mad that I wasn't living, which I think was the exact same thing with her mother. It's yeah. like, I had a notion of what you would be like as an adult or as, as as a young adult, and you're not living up to it. It was just like I I didn't like I said I wasn't really interested in the college thing. I had a job, like I went, I got a job immediately out of high school, and uh, but I was unfocused. Right. And she was like, "Focus, yeah, you got to focus, and the way out of this is college, yeah." And I was like, I'm not so sure college is for me. Mm. And the way out of this, this isn't so bad. Mm -hmm. you know, his parents hate. <laughs> you yeah. know? This is okay. We're all right. What we're not okay. Uh, for a living? Yeah. 
I worked in a pharmacy. I had started as just a clerk, but then the guy uh, yeah. trained me. So I right. was a, the pharmacy so tech. Well, okay. But that that wasn't your future. No, but it could have been. Well, that was a whole deal. Like kind of going into nursing. I was like, oh, I could go into pharmacy. Or I could be a pharmacy tech. Be, pharmacy techs are actually do the work. Yeah. The pharmacist takes the credit. Um, but it, it wasn't necessarily something you want to do with your future. You're just doing a job. Right, you know, yeah. but it's something I could have done for money and been fine. Right, and she um, didn't want. She wasn't having it. She was like, "Dude, you got to follow your thing. You got to yeah. be your, like, you know, parents do that thing of like, find yourself, and you go, well, I'm right here. Yeah. I found myself. And right, like, eh, that's not you though. So anyway, I I go and I say, well, uh, okay, um, I meet this guy, and this guy's like, you know, basically, I used to joke around the office. But eventually, you went to community college, and you're writing. I go to community college, and yeah, I'm writing on the school paper, because yeah. that was more fun, and I enjoy writing. And your mom was happy? No. <laughs> She's like, this, you're doing some more stuff. And, and we weren't taught. This is after I got put out, so yeah. uh, we're not really communicating. Right. You know, what I do, I do. And right. Not, she doesn't care. I right. mean, she probably cares, but I wasn't trying to you open came back to around, her. though. Yeah, totally. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no. So I go, and I joke around in the office. I, right. I joke around a lot in the office of the newspaper. Yeah. And uh, this guy goes, you know, I'm thinking of going to this comedy club downtown, uh, but we might, it might be better off if, like, we're partners. You want to partner up? Yeah. And I go, ah, yeah, yeah, sure, why not? You know, whatever. Yeah. What the yeah. hell? Try it. And, um, and so then he starts setting... Uh, rehearsal times and he's got a schedule like let's get together and write and I'm like dude are you crazy this is this, suddenly this is school again yeah do you, you understand were you performing as a team no this was the thing I'm like you, you get why I'm in community college right right because this, <laughs> this is a last ditch effort yeah I, I, I didn't this wasn't the plan yeah so he was like well I, I really want to do this I go here's what we'll do then why don't you run, tell me some of the stuff that you want to do. And he, he, he goes through some jokes. Horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Were you a comedy fan? I was a big fan of comedy. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I say to this guy, I'll write these. I'll, I'll fix these jokes for you. Yeah. You just go up. I'll write. I'll, I'll do. Uh, you, yeah. You, you and I are going to work on your, your writing. Right. And, uh, but as a team, I don't know. So we go down. And uh, it's a big splash. It's like yeah. open mic night. He gets up. People are like, "Wow, that guy is funny." With your jokes, sure. Yeah. Some of it with yeah. with a der derivative of his. I'll say with his, a couple of his premises. Yeah. That, but then yeah, my jokes. And then, um, and what we didn't know was the whole notion of like working out a set, working out a routine. Right. So we basically like, well, we did those jokes, and the next week we went back with all new jokes. Right. And then again, and then again, and again. That must impress the uh, uh, open micers. And there you go. Yeah. And not so much the open micers, but certainly the club owners. Right. You know, so they were like, geez, this guy. About him. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you start doing it on your own? Uh, I guess about maybe two years after, and it was really a matter of, the deal was they didn't know who I was. Sure. They, they didn't know I was writing this yeah. stuff. And um, and then one day. And we so you started out a writer. 
I started out a writer. Yeah. Exactly. But, mm, yeah. Yeah. As far as, <laughs> I started out- uh, well, You knew enough to know that. I started out a say, I, I, was, I was saving this guy. He's like, you yeah. embarrass us. But it's interesting, though, but you were you were approaching jokes. You know, you had a sense of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and a sense of how to act on stage. Right. But then the thing is how, I started out helping other people. Right. Because uh, after a while, um, you know, like after after the show and you sit around and you're talking and, and people come over and I would start helping other people in yeah, the club. Like, right. you should do this. You know that thing you do with the yeah. thing? You can, and so they're like, this guy's funny. Right. Uh, and then it becomes this thing where, like we kind of went out. We would always like hang out after the show. Right. It's always like this is the we're the comedy. We're the comedians sure, in Baltimore. Yeah. And they started to get it. They yeah. started to go. One on one, when you're with the two of them, this is the funny guy. Right. This guy is not so fast or funny. Right. You know, and they were like, okay, so you're writing his stuff. Right. Oh, okay, we get it. Yeah. And so then there was this, why don't you go up? What's right. your deal? Like, we're hanging out with you. You're funny and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Um, and then finally, I, I make this pact that go like, there was this one guy who used to come. Yeah. This guy, the guy who actually, the first, the guy who got me. Uh, he was a drug dealer. Um, and he used to come. And this was like the weird thing. Like, I didn't know he was a drug dealer. Yeah. But the deal was he would come, and then he would disappear. Right. Come open mic night, disappear. Weeks. And then, then come back and be in the same place. Yeah. Like, you, you think if you went away, you thought about something. Right. And came back. You right. Better. So. Was I, he doing comedy? Yeah. He'd yeah. do comedy. He'd get on stage and just be like, what is this guy right. doing? And then uh, I said, if that guy ever comes back. The day that guy comes back, I'll get on stage because I I, I can't stand to see the audience tortured by that. Guy. Right, and uh, he comes back. Yeah, and I went up. It's fucking the, the the arrogance that I went up with so much I, because of everything I just told yeah. you. Because in my head, I'm like, I'm writing jokes. Yeah. for that guy. I'm right, jokes for this guy. Yeah. It's like I'm com constantly coming up with tags and punchlines. Yeah. I got to write. Yeah. I'm going to write five minutes. You know what? I'm going to get up there and do five minutes. Right. You clowns. Yeah. I'll show you. Right. It's all another thing, you know? Yeah. I got on the stage like, oh, <laughs> it's just a different world. Okay. Yeah. Looking out at the people, looking back at you with the expectation in yeah. their eyes. And I just, I mumbled through some stuff. I got nothing. I yeah. got no love. Yeah, and 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 I tried. And I attacked some people. I mean, I call it attacked. I tried to talk to some people in the crowd. And yeah, hard as pounding, and it was awful. Yeah, it was awful. And what happens when you get off? And so I get off, and I was like, "What? That is awful. Yeah, that is the worst thing ever." Uh, I got to go on this next is, week. Well, <laughs> this is this is my thing, yeah. and that voice in my head thing. It's then I get forensic with it. And I got to figure out all the variables. That doesn't make sense to me. I shouldn't have. Like all that other stuff I thought before about how I write for everybody else yeah. and I do this and that. So that shouldn't have happened. Right. So what happened? Like, well, okay, well, I wasn't prepared, obviously, yeah. so I got to prepare. But then all of those things, for me to suss out all the variables, yeah. I got to keep going back on Right. You got to you got to master this thing. You got to fix have it to, exactly. Got to get save face right. And then then I had a girlfriend at the time who was like a hundred percent behind. Who was actually in the army. <laughs> she was like I had that was my military connection. She yeah. was like you're gonna just not do it again. I go I, don't, I think 
maybe maybe that's best for me to not do it again. Yeah. She's like, I don't know you. I don't know that guy. Yeah. And I said, Yeah, you're right. I'm gonna do it again. I gotta do it. I gotta kill it. So um so yeah, and then I had a whole conversation with Andre where I go, Look, here's what we gotta do. Cause I'm gonna keep writing for you. Yeah. But obviously, you know, we gotta differentiate. So let's make a decision. Like you like he's very political. Yeah. He, he he's like you like the political stuff. Where yeah. I'm gonna write that I'm gonna write these jokes for you. Yeah. And then I'm gonna write the more lighthearted family junk. Yeah. For me. You know, but yeah. it's all it's all in the in the name of laughs. Yeah. Um and he said, Yeah, cool for like a couple weeks. And then he got to the point where he said, You know what? I think I got it. Yeah. I can write my own right. jokes. Yeah. And uh and then that freed me. You know, and the only thing that I did make sure of was like to never step on his toes. Like like if he got up with some premise, I go, Okay, well, I'll leave that alone. But um but uh So you now you're doing it. Yeah, now I'm doing it. And now without that anchor, yeah, without being constrained with like working for everybody else. Yeah. You know, suddenly I'm in in a few months I'm emceeing. Yeah. Then I do a commercial. Like there's this local commercial. These people come by and they see us. Yeah. And they uh they hired me and a couple other guys from the club and we do these commercials. And then, uh, and now I'm known. Like people, I would go around, I walk around Baltimore, and people like I, I had made up. It's for a car dealership. Yeah. And I had made up the Reverend Mitsubishi. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. people were like, "Oh, he's the Reverend that's a guy. Mitsubishi. That's that guy." You know. And it's, it, I mean, it's great in the city. It's just like being a local sportscaster. Sure. You're great in your city. Yeah. You step uh, twenty miles out, nobody knows who you are. Nobody yeah. cares. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I started doing that, and then I started getting bookings. Didn't even have a phone. I had a like people to book me. People called Dan Rose. Yeah, because <laughs> right. they were like Dan had a phone. I the way I was working, the way I had budgeted my money, I was like, I don't need to pay a phone. Yeah, you know, who am I? I know everybody. I know I just go see them. Yeah. So um, so you did shit to kind of hold yourself back on some level. Still, huh? yeah, you know, from right. the beginning. Um, yeah, make it I'm harder so for yourself. afraid. I'm making it harder for myself, yeah. and I'm still, and that's the thing where I'm at now. Like I'm still doing that. Yeah. Or, or I started doing it again. Right. And now I got to stop. Right. Because now I'm then I make it all about my kid, and I'm like, you know what? That kid doesn't deserve to have me go. Yeah, you know what? I turned my back on comedy because. You need me too much, right? <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean, I gotta be home and take care of you. Yeah. Whereas there'd be people who go, "What a hero!" And I'm like, "No, not really." What's what a, his what issue? A coward. They don't. My he's undiagnosed is the most true thing. But yeah. The, the, but it's like clearly like cerebral palsy, and um, you know he's nonverbal. Yeah. He's not mobile. You know, he's not. His limbs don't obey his commands. Uh huh. Um. And uh, uh, I mean, I, there's a there's a host of things to deal with, right? Um, and uh, he's also, in in my estimation, very smart, very clever. And the thing I realize about kids, if there's anything about them, they absolutely kind of come. If you're paying attention to them, they're here to help you. I think I really feel that way. Yeah, I, I feel like, and with both of them, I, I said this to a friend of mine. I said, you know, what I realized there's nothing I say to my kids. There's not one piece of, and I'm talking about a ten year old 
and a seven-year-old. But there's not one piece of advice that I say to them that is not absolutely intended for me. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you, you some circumstances change, but, you know, you go, look, who cares what the other kids in your class think about you? Yeah. What's important is how you feel and right. what you do. And then, right. you you know, like you can have an argument with them and then look at yourself in the mirror and go, well, really? Yeah. <laughs> you want to you want to tell yourself that you're right now? You're still telling yourself that. Exactly. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, um, but they make it more concise and they make it more clear and then and then th- this is the deal with my son and yeah. the fear and all the stuff that we talked about I, there's this stuff that my son can do yeah that he doesn't do because he's a 10 year old boy in a wheelchair yeah that people have affection for right and so as i'm constantly saying to him dude you have to stop relying on that you know, yeah. Because there's going to be a point where, and they, they he goes to the school where they they have a they have thirty percent of the kids with special needs, everything mm-hmm. all along the spectrum yeah. of special needs, and not to say spectrum because that right mean that leans to all different kinds autism, of special needs, yeah. But everything, and this is what puts me in a place where I'm like I'm like I guess any other parent, you know. You want your kid, to, you want to say to your kid, you understand how lucky you are? You understand what a great opportunity this is? Yeah. And in a way, my kid's like, yeah, I totally get it, which is why I don't talk, which is why I make sure. Um, like he, yeah. he does this, he, he'll start crying and kicking. And uh, and I'll go, here's the deal. And I've been doing this for four years now. I'm like, what do you need? You know, in Chinese, yes is, is height. Mm-hmm. You can say hi, you know. So instead of tr- you trying to make your mouth, wrap your mouth around the word yes, um, here's the deal. When you want something, if I if I ask you something and the answer is affirmative, yeah. if the answer is yes, say hi. Yeah. You know? Do you get and, it? And I'm going to write down all these things. Like, I'll educate your teachers. We're going to make, it's going to be your language. Right. You know, yeah. it's going to be Zave's language. Based on what he's can Based on what like, you can do. Right. Based on me seeing what you can do. Did he get it? I think he absolutely gets it. Does he do it? No. Dude, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to scream and cry. Yeah. And you are going to figure it out like everybody else. I mean, that's what infants do. Like, this is what yeah. I say to him. I go, that's what infants do. They, they they cry. The parents pick them up and they say, what's wrong? Yeah. Are you hungry? Yeah. You got to go to the bathroom. You need to be burned. And, and they figure it out eventually. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and then the kid gets satisfied. And then they get whatever they, what they get out of that is like, yeah, okay, you care about me. You right. hung out. You figured it and, out. Yeah. And I didn't have to. And jump through any hoops exactly or try to do something and this is what and so that we have that conversation constantly but at the school they do have to jump through that hoop yeah. if he's in class and he starts screaming yeah. well the teacher's got to figure it out and then sometimes she just says to there's an aide and he goes take yeah. him to the bathroom yeah. and I talk to the aides and I'll go what happened and they'll go well like he started screaming and I said, it sounds like if they describe the day, they describe what was going on, yeah. especially if they were doing math. Yeah. And I'll say, so what happened? So you took him out? And I'll say, yeah, well, so we, we left to go to the bathroom. And then he stopped. And I go, let me ask you this. Did he stop the minute you walked out of the class? Or did he stop when you got to the bathroom? And they'll go, 
oh yeah you know he actually stopped like as soon as we walked out of the class yeah. and then i said and he didn't go to the bathroom right and i go yeah no he's just kind of sat yeah and he sat and then i got him up and then we went back to the class and he started screaming again and i go dude <laughs> he doesn't want to do math <laughs> doesn't want yeah exactly <laughs> he doesn't want to do math and then you you do this thing this you go to this infantile behavior because you know there's going to be more you're going right. to get more credit for yeah. that there's going to be more sympathy and then i want to go and i, I don't want to go i say to him i go look dude, that 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 sympathy goes away trust me when you're the 15 year old screaming like a baby in the corner People are going, can somebody please shut that kid up? You know, it's, it's you're not, telling him this. I'm tell, I'm telling him this all the time. I'm telling him all the time. You so this is it. the, this is the struggle. Come on, man. Yeah. This is the beautiful struggle. Uh-huh. And at the same time, like I'm saying to you, I have these long conversations with him, and then I go and look in the mirror and go, really, dude, really? Yeah. You just had that. You're sitting here crying and screaming. Oh, I'm writing for everybody else. I got. I need to get myself to get him back on stage. Everything you say to so him. So you're trying. So that. Uh, so th- this is something that's eating at you every day. Um. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I can't say eating. Well, I mean, me, okay. But it's so, in my head. It's present. Right. So let's go back. So okay. So you do comedy. Eventually, moved to New York, where I met you. Yeah. And you, you're doing those shows that I did, the Caroline's <laughs> Comedy Hour, the yeah. evening at the Improv. We're all getting those first breaks. Yeah, yeah. Uh. So when? So your first job was you go to SNL. The writing job? First writing job was that. But how long were, were you in comedy then? Like five, like six, seven years? Maybe six. Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, uh, yeah, because I remember this. There was a show at SNL. Uh, I remember the Jordan. Is it Michael Jordan in Public Enemy? That yeah. was the year my, that was my 10-year reunion, 10-year high school reunion. And I uh, thought it out and I was like, okay, so I started, I graduated at 17. I started comedy at 22. Yeah. Uh, so I'm 27 now. So, uh, so five years, five years from when I started. You're working, I'm, at, SNL. I'm working at SNL. So now, at that point, though, were you like, you know, this this comedy life looks, you know, why not take that gig? The deal with the SNL thing was I miscalculated. Yeah, I basically, you know, I worked. I'm from Baltimore. I'm used to going up and down 95. Right. To do my gigs every once in a while, I go west. Never came as far as out here. Doing the Jersey shit. Boston yeah, shit. I did the Jersey. I never, I, I did Boston. Philly shit. I did Boston. I did the Philly shit, but I didn't do Boston shit until I moved to New York. Right. Um, I was doing a little, t- Chillicothe, Ohio. Yeah. You know, Preston, Prestonsburg, Kentucky. I had gotten to the point where I was headlining. Yeah. And then I got to the point where I realized the only thing I like about headlining was every once in a while, the, a nice small crowd to talk to. Um, can I can I say like one quick story? Yeah. Like the, the, the one time I realized this is what I love to do, but this is what I love to do with these people. Me, yeah. Me and Patton. Yeah. In Alaska. Yeah. Right. Uh, I don't know if it was Juneau, some one of those towns and one of the cities, and uh, we do it. We do our show. I think we were there for a week, and we we you know it was fine. A week was fine. Last show. Yeah. Six people. Yeah. Best show of the week. Two couples. Yeah. Well, for me. Yeah. Patton was like, Ugh, yeah. I don't know what the hell this is. And six black people. Right. Six black people of Alaska. Uh-huh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and they come to this show. 
And like, yeah, Patton goes up and he does his thing. He does his Patton thing, and he's fine. And they like they're very respectful of him. Uh-huh. You know, it's like Patton's like, if I was a superhero, juice would come out of my fingers. And right. Stuff yeah, like yeah. they just go early Patton. Yeah. 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 And uh, and so he comes, he sits down, he goes, man, I don't know what to tell you. Good luck. Um, and I get up there and I start talking to them. Yeah. Um, and I asked a guy. It was a couple, two couples, and then two, you know, other, and and shit up. So you guys, like when you came in and you noticed that the crowd wasn't filling up around you, did you did you think for a second, maybe we shouldn't oh, yeah. stay? I always and wonder they, that. And they said, this guy said, well, this was the last night. Yeah. He said, well, we had made this plan to come here and we came to see you. <laughs> I was like, but now, now the pressure's on and now and like everything I'm just talking to you about like the old like I'm responsible for these yeah, people this yeah. is a community thing yeah, yeah, yeah. these people live all the way in Alaska I have no idea what their life is yeah, like yeah. but there's, there's six black people yeah. who came to see me <laughs> and then and then this 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 uh, these people start coming in and being loud and the deal was there was some wedding at another hotel across right. the street. Yeah. And it was so crowded over there that yeah. they decided to come over here. Right. And this doesn't look like a comedy show. This looks like one guy on stage talking to his friends. Yeah. So then I got to deal with them. Right. But then I start talking about them to these people. I'm like, let's see now, if that was us, they were yeah. all like all oh, these loud black people. Yeah. And they start laughing. And, I, and I, I, like, I think I did like half act, half conversation yeah. with those people. And I was like, this is this. This, this is where it's good. at. Yeah, this yeah. is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and this was years after I couldn't figure out what the hell with SNL. So SNL was, uh, money wise, I was like, where's my money going? You know, New York is expensive as hell. Yeah. And it just got to that point. I was like, where the hell is my money? I'm very good with my money. Yeah. And it's leaving. It's going too fast. And I think at the point I was doing SNL, I was doing, uh, I had catch. I was emceeing a catch on Sunday night and Tuesday night. Catch Rising Star. Yes. This is like uh, early 90s, yeah. Early 90s. Mm-hmm. The Louis Ferranda years. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and I uh, and I was, was still working around, you know. Um, and I didn't understand what the hell was up with the money. And I realized, yeah, I'm driving twice. Like if I got the gig that I used to have every year in North Carolina. I used to drive from Baltimore to North Carolina. Right, so now you're flying. Uh, no, I'm still driving, but I'm driving down. I'm dri- first, I'm doing the New Jersey Turnpike, and then I'm going over the bridge. Yeah, I'm paying yeah. these tolls. I'm spending more money eating food. New York, just coming through the damn tunnel is $5 coming, and everything is $2 more than it is living in Baltimore. So everything is crazy. So you, And you're doing SNL. Well, and that's why I did SNL. Oh, okay. I did SNL because I was like, this is a steady paycheck. Who was the cast then? Uh, the cast, the cast, cast was Dana. Dana was kind of it's not. It's like it's not right to say in decline. But, yeah. But Mike was definitely in ascendancy. Yeah. Uh, so it's Dana and Mike, uh, and Phil Hartman, who was a stellar individual. Who was Update? Uh, Update was Neiland. Yeah. Kevin Neiland. What's his name? It just Dennis Miller just yeah. left. Um. And uh, and then the our boys, yeah. Rock and yeah. and Sandler and yeah. and Rob Schneider and Spade, yeah, um, good cast, yeah, and Farley who you know was doing yeah. this thing already, um, but yeah, yeah, definitely a, a good group of people. And then the year after me, they hired Ellen 
Clayhorn and Timmy was oh, there. Yeah. And this was a thing. Like Tim, between Tim and Chris and Ellen. Yeah. Uh, probably the most until now. Yeah. Yeah. They had kind of gone down the 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 road of blackness. Right. Um, but it was making me crazy sometimes. You know, because it was kind of to me. I was like, this this what's happening here is and living color is winning emmys yeah so lauren hires chris right who kind of came with an audience because people already knew chris right he, he didn't absolutely need snl so i got there and like in that particular show i'm talking about with uh with chris and 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 ellen and timmy um like the next week <laughs> we we wrote this sketch because it was it was michael jordan it was uh um, public Enemy musical guest Spike Lee came on mm-hmm. and did a guest thing on uh, Chris used to do the sketch Nat X and then uh, Jesse Jackson came on because yeah. that week two people died Miles Davis died that uh, week and uh, and Dr. Seuss died Yeah, and Al Franken had this is and I, God bless him forever Al Franken said, well, you know what we should do? We should get uh, Jesse Jackson to come on and read <laughs> an obituary. We'll write something for Dr. Seuss because of the rhyming. Yeah. And I was like, man, Al, Jesse Jackson ain't going to do that, man. Are you kidding? He was on a plane. <laughs> he was like, just, <laughs> he, he did. you send a plane for me. He, I guess his son played football in some college. He said, send a plane. I'm going to be here. So we, we did that that show and that show was so many different things for me i the, the best thing i remember was just sitting on a fire escape just me and chuck d just just talking yeah just just shooting it right and, um and talking about miles davis and because lauren had come to me he had assigned me this he's like miles davis just died can you we'll write a little something a little something what, what, what? Yeah. What are they going to say? Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. How long? How long is something before they go, bring the noise? What are you talking about? Right. So Chuck just, I was like, why don't we just, just do a minute of silence or something like that for 20 seconds. So he did that. Um, but then the next week we wrote the sketch where like the, the, the opening monologue was Chris and Ellen and Tim and them just going, Okay, last week was probably the blackest Saturday Night Live, you know, with the with the three of us, plus Public Enemy, plus Michael Jordan, plus Jesse Jackson, plus Spike Lee, um, and then uh, and we wrote that, and then Lauren decided, like, kind of the last minute, nah, I don't want to do that. It's like you know, he, his thing was he didn't want to serialize the show. No, that's valid. I'm yeah. like, okay, I get that. He didn't want it to be like, right. if you watch that show and you go, oh, I wonder what last week was. You right. Know? But then a part of me goes, that's actually selling. Now people have to go figure out what last week was. But that that place, <laughs> and I call it that place, yeah. was not to me. Is like this place is not really conducive to just being creative and funny. It's very conducive to being. Uh, um, competitive. Yeah, and I didn't come here for that. Right. Uh, and then you know when I think back on it, it was kind of being competitive. Like so, in the end, I go to Lauren. I think at the like the end of my second year, I go. I'm writing this stuff, and I I, I love Chris. I love Chris. I love Timmy. But honestly, I don't think either one of them knows where I'm coming from. Sometimes, but the things I write. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and he, I don't know if he acknowledged that or not. He just listened. Um, I gotten fed up with, uh, I wrote this thing for Tim because I felt like he was underserved, yeah. underutilized. Tim Meadows. Tim Meadows. And yeah. I said, um, it was Ali's uh, 50th, 60th mm-hmm. birthday. And I wrote this thing where it started out, I wrote a whole like slow roll until he got to a peak. And basically at the peak, it was like him calling himself the greatest feature player of all time. He was like, I'm the greatest of all time. Yeah. Bri, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care about no Chris Rock. I don't care about this. Just, just, just in everybody's face. I'm Tim Meadows. Yeah. I came here. And at the read through, people loved it. Yeah. And and then I felt like the more the closer we got to air, yeah, <laughs> dude started. It, it it just got less and less appealing, uh-huh. and not like the words of it, but the, the the commitment. Tim's commitment seemed to be like like even to the point Jim Downey said, "I don't know what's going to happen with that piece," because yeah. Timmy he's like, "I don't." The, the, the Timmy's run through his his read through performance of that piece, yeah, was amazing. Yeah, everybody went, look at Tim. Yeah. And then it was like, hmm. huh? And it didn't go. <laughs> and it didn't go. And I was like, okay, I I could have done. I, I so I go to Lauren. I go. I'm not. I I I know you got your thing. I I don't want to be. I'm, clearly, I'm not saying make me a member of the cast. That's right. A, you got to earn that. Um. And uh, I'm not even saying make me a feature player. Right. So, but just uh, from time to time, I got to write something that I know I can do. Right. And um, he, uh, I agree, but uh, uh, Jim has a real issue if I take the writers, when I make writers uh, feature players or performers on the show, Uh he says to me, he says, uh, yeah, so, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want to upset Jim, I love him, and it's this whole thing about it, he blames it all on Jim Downey, and I go, okay, cool. and I go to leave. Now I had two like there like there are clicks there, and I can't pretend I didn't have my little crew. Yeah, uh, it were like the younger Dave Mandel and Steve Corrin were my uh, boys. Yeah, and they asked like what happened. They knew what I was going to do. Yeah, and they asked what happened, and I go, man, he's, he blamed it all on Jim. And it's like because then Lauren said, go talk to Jim. Yeah, if you talk to Jim, and Jim says it's okay, then you got it. So uh, I leave and I say to them, "All right, I'm out. I'm I'm out of here." <laughs> and what did he say? I say he said, "Talk to Jim." But come on, man. Yeah. Uh, then they convince me. Yeah. I let them convince me that if you never talk to Jim, you'll never know. Mm-hmm. You got to talk to Jim. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I talk. So I wait to talk to Jim. And like, here's the thing. This is the crazy. I've heard Scott a million times better. But there's a dysfunction. There was a huge dysfunction there about the. Uh, time and yeah. people's work ethic like i used to get to work at when i worked at snl yeah i used to get there at 10 o'clock because somebody told me those were the hours right 10 o'clock uh, in the morning 10 a.m yeah so i left home every day 10 a.m get to snl we didn't start work till like six seven o'clock 7 p.m six seven so what were you doing all day i was hanging out i was talking to and that was the other thing like it wasn't like i would ever say oh, i'll just leave and yeah wait until somebody calls me because that's what would happen right People would like just not be there, and they'll say, "Hey, call me when when this is real, basically." Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, so I would I hung out with the office staff. Like, yeah, I, they, those guys love me. You know, I had a good time with them. Yeah, and I think that was I think like they didn't really get talked. You know, there was a whole hierarchy. Yeah, there. and then it got crazy because then all of a sudden we start work at seven. And, and you're tired. <laughs> well, like you know, we're gonna go from like seven to two to work on these sketches. So yeah, around eleven thirty, twelve, I'm getting drowsy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would doze off, and then there would be someone right who's like, oh, Jesus, Warren, what do you, you know, like, what's your issue? Like, and that was like, it's Saturday Night Live. So the the initial assumption is he's high, but it was like, people knew I was pretty straight. Yeah. So it's like, he's not high. It's just, what are you doing? You can't stay up. Um, and oddly enough, one of the reasons I love Jim Downey, he knew Jim was like, yeah, this guy break. He's been here since 10 o'clock. Yeah. Like, he, like, how do you know? Since the whole reason we're starting at seven is because you didn't get here until seven o'clock. Did you talk to him about that thing? Um, so I go talk to him. Yes. I. But the, the reason I bought that story up is yeah. because my meeting with Lauren was supposed to be at nine p.m. I talked to Lauren maybe at two in the morning. So I walk out of Lauren's office and then I say to. Uh, Jim's assistant, I got to talk to Jim. Yeah. And I'll have this conversation, I guess, tomorrow. And she goes, he's still here. If you want to wait a half hour, you can talk to him now. Okay. Well, half an hour becomes four in the morning. Yeah, yeah. So I talked to Jim before. Him. And this is the thing. Now I'm tired. This yeah. is like, a, this is some some cult stuff. And I say, Jim, yeah, well, here's the conversation. Tell him the conversation I had with Lauren. And Lauren's, yeah. And Jim just starts laughing. He's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And Lauren said, what? He goes, do you know how many people Lauren puts on? The, he said, okay. All right. Well, then here's the deal. Yeah. You go back to Lauren. I'll write it down. You want me yeah. to write it down for yeah. you? Go back to Lauren and you tell him that Jim's fine with it. <laughs> and, he could, and you can do whatever you please. I'd love it if you're on camera or yeah. not. That's fine with me. Yeah. And then I left Jim's office, and I left Jim's office, and I looked at my boys, and I go, okay, now I'm out of here. <laughs> like, I've talked and that to Jim. Yeah, and I was like, I, I, I got to go. And then the weird thing is, and I talked to Townsend yeah. come by. Robert. Robert Townsend had come by, and he wanted to start this show out here. He was doing, and he kept calling it the other side of In Living Color, because at this point, he and Keenan had had their big falling out. Um. So, you know, he asked me about SNL and what it was like and how things worked. And I told him about that sort of back and forth. And he goes, dude, I'm going to use you as talent and a writer. I'm Basically, I'm giving you what you want on my show. Um, so I said, good. Love it. And that's where you went? I was, so I came. Yeah, I moved out here. That, then, now, that was a time when Abby was like, what? No. Like it was like, wait, you're gonna leave SNL, which yeah. is an established jog or not, yeah, to go to Fox because that was a deal. It was it was a Fox show when this was a point where Fox didn't even have a full day's worth of programming, right? To work with Robert Townsend, who you know he had that Partners in Crime stuff, but uh, you know he was not a proven entity. And they were, everybody was against it. And I was like, yeah, but I think, you know, just creatively, this is going to work for me. Got you out here. Well, and, but there's this thing that was like, I'm still in that place. Like I can write uh, and, uh, but I'm a performer. That was right. always my thing. So Robert was feeling that he was, he was hitting that note for yeah. me. 
Uh, but then what he would do is like he hired all these writers. Like we had a, a nice little writer's room and we'd turn in these sketches and then we'd watch uh, the show was filmed and we watched the show and, and then go, I don't recognize any of this. Did you write that? Right. No, I didn't. So just sometimes you go, wait, I think this is my sketch because I wrote a sketch about a cafeteria and here's a sketch that's in a restaurant. And I think that this is what became of my sketch. So Townsend did this thing where he would just rewrite everything. Yeah. Based on what he thought right. was best in right. the sketch. And it was not working. Then the weird thing was, I get this call from Fox executives. They say, come in. I go over and they go, what do you think is working about the show? And I say, oh, it's a great, the writer's amazing. It's a good group. Uh, I think... You know, whatever. I could give them a whole long line, list of things that are working. And they say, what do you think is not working? I go, I think you guys got to talk to Robert. And sometimes he's maybe a little in his own head. He's doing yeah. a little too much. And they say, uh, oh, I'm sorry. The question was posed is, what do you think would make the show work better? And uh, and I give them this whole thing. Like, you know, you got to do this. Number one thing, talk to Robert. Yeah. And they look at me and go, what else do you think would make the show work better? And I go, oh, so you're not going to talk to Robert. Okay, I don't know. And they say, look, here's the thing. That show's not going to. We're, we're getting rid of that show. But, and then I think back in these days for Fox, it was like they're a new franchise. Yeah. So just cachet-wise, I'm a guy who wrote a couple years on SNL, and I work for Fox now. Yeah. They don't want me leaving right. the Fox farm team. Right. And so... uh they're like, well, you know, we know that you have friends on In Living Color. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think you know some people over at Martin. We have this show called Living Single. So they throw those out at me. Uh, I couldn't resist. I'm like, did you, just, did you just tell me the three black shows you have on your network? Yeah. It, it, not take into account, I just came here from SNL. Right. Oh, no, of course. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah, became yeah, this yeah. whole thing. Like, oh, well, no, married with children would love you. We can set up a meeting. Sure. And I was like, nah, I, I get it. Just you gotta watch that. You know yeah. what I mean? That, and this is who I am. I mean, I shouldn't be talking about right, like that, yeah. but that's where I was. Um so, you know, I had my issues with those uh the I'm not trying to be part of a clique, so I'm like, well, I don't know anybody at Living Single. And uh of 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 all of of those shows, that one, you know, even married with children, I'm like there's a barrage of jokes. And the only new thing for me to learn is story, the yeah. story structure. And this living single thing seems to be more along those lines. And I go over there, and this woman, Yvette Lee, at the time, Yvette Denise Lee, now she's Yvette Bowser. But we had our meeting, and I also like the fact, like, you know, at this point, you know, New York, the comic, yeah. the, the, not so much the, the club owners and all yeah. that stuff. I'm just, I'm getting really fed up right. with the lies and all this nonsense in the business. And I, I, I talked to her and she says, well, you know, we started like we're on show number six. And I used to have this guy here. Like there's only one black male yeah. writer on the show. And uh, so I said, honestly, are you hiring me? You, you, you're looking at me because I'm a funny guy. I'm a funny, talented guy who you think could fit in here. Or you're just talking to me because I'm another black guy and you need another black guy. And she goes. This town is full of funny, talented writers. I'm talking to you because you're another black guy. 
Wow. Uh, she said, but a funny, talented black guy. Right. And I said, I got nothing but respect for that. Yeah. I, said, I appreciate that. You know, you could have, oh my God. You know, to, I've, I've, been, I've asked that question before and I've gotten, oh my God, no, we totally respect. And I'm like, hmm. You know, just like my dad with the lies. Like, yeah. yeah. So, um, so there, and that was the thing. Like, I, I, I learned, she said, she, and she's big on story structure. It's just like, I might not always like the stories or where they went, but right. as far as like setting them up, taking right. things to a different place, I'm like, okay, this is sitcom story structure. I'm learning something. Yeah. And there would be days I felt like, uh, I mean, I was there almost to the last season, but uh, I, the only reason I wasn't there last season is because I sold a sh- I sold my own show to NBC. So I was like, I gotta go because I got a show to do. How many did they do? Oh, how many did, of your show? How many did? What they, was that called? It, it was called called Built the Last. Yeah. How hard is that? Uh, First show canceled. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they did. I think we did eight. Uh huh. But they aired maybe three. Yeah. That, um, and so that was the first like you're like oh, I'm now I'm in it fucking heartbreak yes yes although when it was canceled honestly the day that they called to say we're we're done you're canceled i had already i was on my way to new york that i already knew that call was coming yeah but i was leaving that day i was yeah. only hanging around the offices right because i had to go to san francisco to do my half hour comedy so i was like maybe this is what it was supposed yeah, to yeah, be yeah right. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm gonna go do this half hour and this so is you're always doing stand-up yeah, at that point, I was still, I still had my stand-up. So I did, I did live in single almost until I got my own show, until I, I sold that show. Yeah. Um, I mean, I created that show. It was for uh, Royale Watkins. I don't know if you remember. I remember him. Okay. Is he all right? He's good. He's good. actually doing real good. He and he's got all kinds of stuff happening with Kevin good. Hart. He's doing oh, good, real good. good. So, uh, but I did his show, and then we got canceled. Um and part of the thing that made me crazy was like, okay, I, I got my own show on, but I wasn't a showrunner. Yeah. And so that was like, now that's the next thing. It's just like when I did comedy, it was like, okay, why didn't that work? Yeah. All right, now the variable is I got to be in charge of the vision. Right. So that I never really got the vision out with that. So now if I'm going to make this damn thing work, I got to be a showrunner. Yeah. All right. Um, then boom, what happens? Robert Townsend calls again because uh, he had this show on Fox. Now it's called Apparent. He had a sitcom. Yeah. They need a showrunner. I talked to his partner. His partner and I had a better relationship. Uh, this woman who was like the partner in his yeah. company. Yeah. Um, she, she's, she's a genius. She she wound up working at BET. Still mm-hmm. a genius. Uh, even though now we don't talk. But she's a genius. What's her name? Her name is Loretha Jones. Okay. And, um, and this is for Parenthood? Parenthood. So yeah. she's like, you know, we need a showrunner. So I go over there and I, so now I got showrunner credentials. Okay. And then I go from there and then Moesha was like, hey, we need a showrunner. Can you come over here to help? And there I helped the woman who created the show. Yeah. And I even said, well, there's a lady there who created the show. Why do you need a showrunner? And they said, well, it used to be her and her, she was a partner. Yeah. Her and her partner created the show. Right. And now her partner's leaving to work on another show. And she's never run a show by herself. Yeah. And I go, okay, all right, that's so what you, you do say. That. But then I do that, and then I see how the networks, how they uh, undercut showrunners. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, you know, I basically kind of watched them try to devalue, not even try to, they devalued her. By, just they, by bringing you in. 
Well, bringing me and then that was a thing. Like first, yeah. I had to make it clear to her, I'm not here to hurt. Yeah, you. I'm. I'm honestly, if I can help, I'll help. Right. If you want me to shut up and get out of here, and just make them happy because I'm here, I'll be that guy. Yeah. Um. So, uh, she and then the staff felt the same way. Like, who was this clown? Right. Um. And the staff was intimidating. My thing was, I know I'm funny. Like, it, there would be there's episodes of Living Single. Where I've 80% of the jokes, that's me, that's me, that's me, yeah, that's yeah, me. Yeah. Um, story wise, like I said, that's where I needed my help. At this place, you know, there's funny people, they got good jokes, and they know story. And I mean, I'm like, dude, there was, there's a woman who I worked with who was a Harvard MBA. She's writing jokes on Moesha. Yeah. And then a guy who has got two degrees, he's got an English degree from um, Stanford. And journalism from Columbia. He's working at Moesha. Yeah. And at the point where they fired the showrunner, and I'm the showrunner, now I'm their boss. Yeah. You know, and it was like a point where I'm like, what am I doing? I shouldn't be their boss. But then I was like, but you know what? They shouldn't be writing comedy. Fuck yeah. them. <laughs> I'm better at the jokes. But um, so then I got that. And then uh, if you talk to Moesha fans, I ruined the show. Mm-hmm. That's We don't have time for that. But then... Uh, I left. Moesha was coming back. As, as we were told, Moesha was coming back. Yeah. And my agents were like, dude, you're going to be in this position. You're going to do this and that and other thing. And I said, I can't do this. This is crazy. This show and these people, I, I, I like Brandy. And I liked her mom. Her mom yeah. was getting, getting vilified in the press. But she was cool to me, and I got what she was up to. Um, but I was like, I can't. I got it. I need something else. And then Larry had called me Larry Wilmore had uh, called we had a mutual friend yeah and she said Larry would like to talk to you we met in Pasadena yeah and at a Hooters which right is, that's, that's totally Larry <laughs> uh, so we met there and he told me about Bernie he told me what he liked about it and everything and so I called my agent I said I'm gonna do this Bernie Mac thing uh, and it was it was like SNL all over for them they were having flashbacks I right. guess they were like but 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 Moesha's coming back right. for for a full season. That Bernie Mac thing is an experiment, and Fox might not do it. And I was like, let's do the Bernie Mac thing. Um, and then Moesha got canceled. <laughs> I had already made the jump, which I think uh, I, I think Larry appreciated. I had made the jump. He was a say, showrunner? Yeah, he was yeah. a showrunner and the creator, and that was a deal. I was like, I had, I had decided I'm going to be part of this thing before Moesha blew up. It was like didn't it wasn't like, oh, I can't go back to Moesha, so hey dude, can I have that job? It yeah. was like, I want this job instead of that job. And now with was working with Bernie good? That was amazing. I feel like that was the best work I've ever done. And especially since part of my fed upness and kind of even with, with Moesha was like, okay, I learned sitcom story structure. Yeah. But I'm sick of it. I'm like, how does anybody at home who watches sitcoms for two years not know where these stories are going? Um, and then Bernie was like, Just a <laughs> we, don't know these, this, we don't know where these stories, yeah. this is great. We yeah. can go anywhere as long yeah. as we go somewhere funny and somewhere that's emotionally satisfying. It's like we, when we get to the end, if you look back through it emotionally wherever Bernie was, yeah. of course it went that way. Yeah. As opposed to like, structure wise where we set this up and he said this and that happened and sure. it, you know 
He was and, driving it. Oh, totally. And I and I loved that. And that was all. And Larry was like, yeah, no, we're going to do it this way. Um, he was amazing. So Bernie was amazing. Bernie was amazing. Like that that the the first two years of that show, that was like all amazement. And yeah. it was and it was what I needed because it was I got divorced on Moesha. Yeah. Uh, and in Bernie, and in the way I was living my life, like at Bernie, was like it it bought me back to life. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um. And then you know, and like I said, the first two years were amazing. It, it, it was the last three years, which honestly, the last two years is when I was running the show. Yeah. But pale, paled in comparison. You were there the whole time. I was there from first. Well, the pilot, no, but then from first episode to last episode, I was there. Were you tight with him, Bernie? Yeah. 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 And 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 yeah. I, and I like, I, like, I love Bernie. I love yeah. Bernie. I know. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I did actually listen to John because somebody mm-hmm. told me John mentioned me. Um, like the people that I came out, the people that I feel the best about meeting yeah. in L.A. Uh, John, when when John and I were working Ridley? together, John Ridley. I love him. Is a you know? I mean, I I I feel like first of all, I have to I have defended John so many times sure. to so many people, because I really feel like he's like my little brother. Just age wise, he's younger than yeah. than us. Um, but he's he's been so in your face about things. Yeah. Uh, and people are like, what's up with that fucking John Ridley? And I go, you know, hold hold on a second, hold on, man, hold on. Hold on. Yeah. This, this here's John's got a point. Yeah. We don't have to agree with him. Right. You know, but <laughs> he's got a point. You know, like he was not a big fan of going on strike. So yeah. all the people were like this fucking guy. Yeah. But um, him and Bernie were the guys. John, Bernie, and Larry. Yeah. I mean, Larry. I felt like I felt like John was as close to a brother as I'm going to get. Larry was the best mentor ever. And still is, and I'm like, Larry's like that kind of guy. Like he's like that professor that I go, did you like that dissertation? Am I good? Is that anywhere close to what you were trying to teach yeah, me? Yeah. You know, and and and, and he's also the kind of Larry's definitely the kind of guy who does not suffer fools gladly. And I'm like, I'm, but I'm a fool. I'm kind of foolish. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Bernie. Just for a guy from the tr- Bernie actually reminds me of my uncle Everett, although right. I don't. I doubt he's ever had any live grenades. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Shows. But uh, just full blown about life. That's yeah. it. The thing is, now I'm taking care of my kids. Yeah. I wanted. I you know we couldn't get into it, but you know I think you can get some of my thing is like to be a good dad. Yeah. And so with my kids, I'm doing this whole thing like I'm family first. Yeah, I'm trying to be yeah. a good dad, and by my standards, not somebody else's fucking standards. Right. Me, but this is what I decide a good dad is, and um, but then there's those times when I go, I think I'm using that as an excuse. I gotta, I can be a good dad and a creative person and be out here and show the world who I am and maybe even get some respect because my daughter could care less about me. <laughs> but yeah. I, I love her. Yeah. So. Much. I it's one story about my daughter because uh-huh. Father's Day just was just gone, uh-huh. and they, they at she's going to like this little summer camp slash summer school thing, and so they made they got black cardboard, black construction paper, put they splatter white paint on it. Yeah, it's going to be the stars. They put this paint, paste a rocket ship, and then there's a little picture of her. Yeah, 
And then on the side, the, the, the teachers had written, you know, I love you to the moon and back. Happy Father's yeah. Day. Yeah. So she does hers, love you to the moon and back. Happy Father's Day. And then she writes over in the corner, uh, but not really. Uh, <laughs> right? And I say that. And she, goes, and she says, I wrote not really. Yeah. But it's like she doesn't want to be fake. And so she goes, I go to I look at it. She says, I had to write not really. I said, because you don't really feel this way, right? Said, you, you don't know that expression, love you to the moon and back. She's right. like, yeah, I don't know. I said, well, here's the thing, though. Like, just tell me this. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm not my grandmother. I'm not beating her ass right. because she's not fitting in. Yeah. I'm me, and I want to learn who my kids are, yeah. and I want them to be who they are, and I'm just going to guide them when they need guidance. I said, how far do you love me? Just, you know, yeah. it doesn't have to be to the moon and back. And we're standing. We just came in the house. And she showed me the thing. And she goes, oh, okay. And she looks around. And she says, okay, maybe from here, from where we are in the foyer. And she walks to, like, the, the far end of the living room. Yeah. And she looks out the window. She says, probably from over there where I was to, like, the back of that house. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's something. That's you doing you. Yeah. Which is what I'm like, that's what I got to allow myself to do. Right. This is like the moon and back. Who? Every fucking body in the classroom said that. Yeah, without even knowing what it means. Exactly. But yeah. from this foyer to that house across the, the back of that house yeah. across the street, that's me and you, baby. Yeah, that's reasonable. That's so, it. yeah. So I'm all about that. And uh, I got a couple projects what I'm working on, but I was like, I'm feel, feeling like I got to wrap that up and then I got to start doing me again because I can't, I can't just go away, even though I feel like I've gone away. Well, I feel like you're back. Thank you, Mark. And it was nice talking to you, buddy. Yeah, it's good talking to you, Thanks, man. man. Thank you so much. There you go. That was Warren Hutcherson, a guy I started out with. Very funny guy. His life in show business and his life in life. Uh, the book, our book, Waiting for the Punch, uh, can be pre-ordered at WTFPod.com and at MarkMarinBook.com. I've been emailing all the people in the book about them getting the book. Obviously, I'm going to send them a book, but it's very nice that everybody's getting back to me. Makes me feel, makes me feel like people like me. All right. Uh, I'm just going to play some uh, unprepared guitar with no effects. That seems people seem to enjoy it, but I gotta people. The two guys that emailed. It's uh yeah, it's just a strat into the dirty old man. Fifty eight deluxe, kind of cranked. <laughs>